If you uh, have your Bibles handy, I invite you to uh, open to the book of Romans in the New Testament and reading Romans chapter 1, 1 to 7. If you haven't got a Bible here with you, there's a number of Bibles scattered around the church. If not, there might be something, uh, one out in the foyer for you. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to this human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and the apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you who are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, good morning. Uh, Warm welcome to you, particularly if you're someone here who's visiting with us. I do see some unfamiliar faces. Uh, Welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, What I'm about to say probably doesn't apply to you too much if you're just visiting. No, it does. It still does. We're starting a new series uh, in the book of Romans. And you know when you go on a road trip and you have to decide whether you're going to just power on and get to your destination or whether you're going to stop and explore all the places along the way. Well, it's a bit like that when it comes to preaching and reading the Bible. And so sometimes here in church we like to, to power through and we might you know, come and look at two or three chapters at a time on a Sunday. Uh, this series, we're doing the other one. We're going to stop and smell the roses. We only read seven verses just now. Uh, we're going to look at sections of similar length over the next two terms. Now, I reckon that's really helpful to do. Uh, there is lots of detail in Romans. Uh, but what it can mean is that you, you look at the trees and you miss the forest. And so I've got some homework for you. I would love it uh, if you spent some time this week and read the whole book of Romans. Um, that might sound daunting. It's not actually that long. It'll probably take you, depending on how fast you read, like an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, split it up over a few nights. Read the whole thing. It's okay if you don't understand everything that you read, uh, but try and get a, a, a view of the forest, and then here in church on Sundays, we're going we're gonna to look at the trees. Uh, so that's your homework this week. Um, put it in your diary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you early this week. I would love for you to actually do that. It'll be well worth your while. Uh, but let's pray, and then we're going to get into the book of Romans. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it we can know you. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would help us hear your voice, be shaped and changed by what we hear as we encounter the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Our Lord, uh, for those of us who are familiar with it, uh, keep us from uh, thinking that we, we don't need to hear it again. Remind us of just how important, how life-changing this message is. And Lord, for those who may be here and have never heard it before, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes just to see how good this good news is. 
And Lord, we pray this for your sake and for our good. Amen. I'm going to start with a big claim. I think Romans is possibly the most important thing ever written. Honestly, I actually believe that. I think this letter has changed the world more profoundly than almost anything else that has been written down. Over the centuries, countless people have read this letter and been changed by this letter. And and as people read it and are changed by it, they they go out and they they help others see it and, and they are changed by it. And on and on it goes, people are brought to see this incredible message. Uh, I want to take, for example, Augustine of Hippo. You might have heard of him. He's a bishop of the church in the 4th and 5th centuries. He's still today considered one of the greatest theologians of all time. I studied him at Bible college, what, 1,500 years after he was alive. He's deepened our understanding of sin and of God's grace. He's changed the shape of the church forever. And he became a Christian reading Romans. Or you've got Martin Luther, leader of the Protestant Reformation, the man who recaptured the doctrine of justification by faith. He changed the trajectory of the church forever. And the thing that took him from being this this man who despised God and was so frustrated that he couldn't live a perfect life, the thing that changed him into leading and defending the gospel, reading the book of Romans. And and you could keep going. There's lots more examples. There's, There's John Calvin. There's John Wesley, Karl Barth. All these influential leaders who were changed by reading this letter. It changed the course of their lives and by changing them, or they they led these massive movements that we kind of owe our faith to. But friends, it's not just hugely influential leaders who can be changed by this book. Uh, This is a letter that God has preserved for us to read. And so it's my prayer that as we read it, we might be changed by this book. I'm really excited to study Romans with you. I hope you are too. Uh, but the question is, what is it that makes Romans so, so potent, so impactful? What is it about this book? Well, I'm going to put it to you that it's because Romans is all about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. In fact, this letter is so deeply saturated with the gospel that that even the introduction, like today we're just looking at the the greeting at the start of the letter, and even that teaches us profound truths about this gospel. And so that's what we're going to look at today, but just to to set the scene, uh, we'll look a little bit more at this context in coming weeks, but uh, Romans is a, a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church in Rome, Rome is the capital city of the the ruling empire, so it's a very important city. And he's writing to Christians there that he's never met. He's heard about them, but he's never actually met them. And so he begins by introducing himself. Now, uh, when you or I introduce ourselves or we're introduced by someone else, often we 
we give our jobs, don't we? You say, hey, I'm Tom, I'm a school teacher, or this is my friend Jenny, she works in the mines. Uh, we, we like to talk about our jobs. Paul does the same thing in verse 1. Here's his job. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This is how Paul sums up his life. A servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, Now, there is a Greek word for servant. It's not the word in verse 1. The word we actually have is the word for slave. Paul here calls himself a slave of Christ Jesus. And slavery had all the same sorts of negative connotations that you and I associate with it. To be a slave was not a good thing in the Roman Empire. It was often degrading. It was often brutal. And yet Paul has no hesitation in calling himself a slave of Jesus. He delights in calling himself that. But it actually makes a lot of sense. What is a slave? Well, a slave is someone who is owned by someone else and whose life is given over to serving their master. Slaves don't clock off at the end of the day. There is no part of their life, no moment, no action, no thought that is not owned by and directed towards their master. Well, friends, that's what a Christian is. That's what it is to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who is owned by and and devoted to Jesus. And so all Christians are slaves of Jesus And that's a great thing. But the next thing that Paul says is is unique to himself. He says uh, he's also called to be an apostle. Now, Jesus himself gave Paul the job of preaching the gospel to the nations. You might remember the story where Paul, he was known as Saul, uh, was going about and trying to persecute Christians. He didn't like Christians. And then on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. He said, why are you persecuting me? Basically, stop that. I'm going to use you to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And so Paul was was given the job of preaching, but not just preaching. He He was called to, well, he was, in his words, set apart for the gospel. It wasn't just that he would go and preach a sermon and then stop. His whole life, his whole purpose His whole reason for living was this gospel. That's who Paul is, a servant of Jesus, an apostle set apart for the gospel. And so at this point, he takes the opportunity to share with us, his readers, in brief, this gospel. He said, what is this gospel? Well, he gives us six things that he says about it. The first one is in verse 1 the author of the gospel, is God. Now that might seem really obvious to you, but Paul is saying that he's not writing to Rome to share his own message. He's been set apart for the gospel of God. It is God's message. Sorry. And so what Paul is about to unveil is is God's message to the world about how people can belong, be right with him. 
The gospel comes from God, verse 1. Number two, uh, the second thing he says is that the gospel was also promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, uh, prophets, Holy Scriptures, these are Paul's way of talking about the whole of the Old Testament, which means that the whole of the Old Testament contains God's promises about the gospel. Next time you open the Old Testament to read it, I want you to remember that all of it, Genesis to Malachi, all of it is there to point you towards, to prepare you for, to help you believe in the gospel. So often Christians kind of like to separate the Old and the New Testament and kind of, we like this New Testament age and the Old Testament is foreign and weird and we don't know what to do with it. It's there to help you understand the gospel, to bring you to the gospel, to to promise the gospel ahead of time. But now in verse 3, Paul gets to the content of the gospel. This gospel that is authored by God, promised beforehand in the scriptures, is regarding his son. The word gospel means good News And so Paul's gospel, the gospel of God, is news about God's son. What about his son? Well, as to his earthly life, this son was a descendant of David. Now, that's not just a fun fact that Paul found out on Ancestry.com. In 2 Samuel 7, God made a promise to David. And this is what he said. The words are on the screen. This is God speaking through the prophet Nathan to King David. And he says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Paul here is saying that that Jesus, he is the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus is this son of David, the one who builds a house for God's name, the one who sits on the throne forever. He says, humanly speaking, Jesus is this son of David. But, verse 4, Jesus is also the one who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. People are often troubled by those words there. It says Jesus was appointed God's son. It almost sounds as if there was a time where Jesus was not God's son and then at his resurrection he became God's son. And and there are some Christians who who believe something like this, that that Jesus sort of became divine. He was an ordinary man and then he transitioned and became a god. The Greek word appointed has to do with marking out boundaries. And so think of it this way. If you want to put a new front fence on your house, you might get a surveyor out to to mark out the boundaries of your property. 
Now, you already own the property. The surveyor doesn't, doesn't give you the property. He doesn't make the property yours. He's just marking out the boundary so that everyone else can recognise that it is yours. Well, friends, this is what Paul means here. Jesus was appointed God's son in the sense that he was always God's son, but now at his resurrection, he is recognised as that. He was the son of God in weakness... He walked this earth and his word was despised, his authority rejected, he was killed. But while he was the son of God in weakness, now he is the son of God in power. And the thing that made all the difference, the thing that revealed and and confirmed Jesus' identity as the son of God is his resurrection. It is the resurrection that makes this Jesus, Christ, our Lord. Christ, the Greek equivalent of Messiah, means that Jesus is God's King. And Lord, the word used in the place of the name of God in the Greek Old Testament, means that Jesus is God. This is what we mean when we call Jesus Christ and Lord. They're not just kind of nice names or titles, they're they're a recognition that Jesus is God's forever king, that he is God himself. Now, friends, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he may well be a descendant of David, he may be a wise teacher, he may be a miracle worker, but none of that counts for anything Sure, he might be interesting to study, but only if Jesus did walk out of his own grave does Jesus, the man, become worthy of being called Christ, our Lord. And so, friends, if you're someone here who's, who's, who's not sure what to do with Jesus, that is, that is where the rubber hits the road. If Jesus rose again from the dead... That, that confirms that his identity, he is Christ and he should be your Lord. And so if you did believe that Jesus rose from the dead, please don't make the mistake of, of treating Jesus as anything less than your Lord. So many Christians today latch on to the idea of Jesus as a saviour, as a, as a friend, as a guide... Now, he's, he's all those things. But so often we stop short of letting him be our Lord, our master, the one who calls the shots. Friends, the gospel that is authored by God, promised in Scripture, regarding Jesus Christ the Lord... Now, in verse 5, Paul says that it is through him, that is Jesus... That we, the apostles, received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. (coughs) Now, notice just here, Paul says that he received grace to call people to belong to God. He said, it is God's gift to him, a blessing, that he was given the job of calling people to faith. 
Isn't that interesting? Because I think often we think of evangelism as this burden (laughs) that we're given, or a duty, sometimes even a a curse, a horrible thing. We don't want to do it. And here Paul says it's grace. It's a blessing from God. What a privilege that he has this task of calling other people to come to life in Jesus. But did you notice uh, who Paul is commissioned to call to faith? A, A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew, And Paul says, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles. Not not just some of the Gentiles, not just the religiously inclined Gentiles. All of them. Because the gospel is for for everyone. This gospel that is authored by God, promised in Scripture about Jesus, is for everyone. And so Paul wants... Uh, So Paul went around calling everyone to respond to this gospel, to this good news. And in verse 5 to 7, he describes this call in in three different ways. They're all related to one another, but notice what he says. He says, through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Do you see it? Three different ways of kind of saying the same thing. The gospel, the call of the gospel is a call to the obedience that comes from faith, which is a call to belong to Jesus. It's a call to be his holy holy people. They're all really saying the same thing, which is that when you receive the gospel by faith, you are accepting an invitation to be owned by Jesus. You're accepting an invitation to belong to him. I think sometimes we can slip into the habit of thinking of the gospel as, as a transaction where Jesus deals with my sin and then I go away and I sort of just live my own life after that. Sin's dealt with, great, carry on. But then when we do that, we kind of treat faith as an alternative to obedience, where we use faith as an excuse to live however we want. That's not the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus purchases us out of slavery to sin and makes us his own. He, he buys us so that, we, that he can own us, that we can belong to him and so that we can delight in living his way. Notice it's the obedience that comes from faith. Those two things go together. It's not obedience that comes from law. It's not obedience that makes us worthy of God's love. It is obedience that comes from faith as we delight in living God's way. Last one now. The gospel's authored by God, promised in Scripture about Jesus for everyone, a call to belong to Jesus. And finally, all of this is for Jesus' name's sake. Verse 5 again. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call 
all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And it's really easy to skip over those, those last four words, but they're really important. Why did God author the gospel? Why did God promise the gospel in Scripture? Why did God send his son as the king of Israel and saviour of the world? Why does God call all the nations to belong to him? So that Jesus' name would be honoured by everyone. One writer puts it like this. He says, as Christians, we should be jealous, as Scripture sometimes puts it, for the honour of Jesus' name. We should be troubled when it remains unknown. We should be hurt when Jesus' name is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honour and glory which are due to it. Friends, the gospel... If I haven't made this really clear already, I hope, I hope you walk away knowing this. The gospel is about Jesus, more than it's about you. It is the good news about Jesus, and it is good news for the glory of Jesus. Now, I think too often, and I'm guilty of this, we, we frame the gospel in a very self-centered way, where we, we take the gospel and make it about us. When we, believe it's, uh, when we believe it's good only when it you know, fits with us, when we reshape the gospel even, to make sure that this good news fits within our definition of good. But do you see what these opening verses of Romans show us? The gospel isn't, first and foremost, about us. Now, it's an incredible privilege that we are part of it, but the gospel is for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The friends, this gospel that comes from God, promised in Scripture, concerning His Son, it's for everyone, bringing sinners to belong to Jesus. And in so doing, it brings glory to Jesus the Lord. Friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel. But the question is, is it the gospel that you have believed? Now, I suspect in in a gathering of this size, there's a good chance that there are a number of you who probably wouldn't call yourself a Christian or who are unsure what that even means. Uh, If that's you, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you decided to step into a church this morning. And I want you to know this gospel. If you're someone here who's exploring Christianity, if you're someone who's been in church a long time and you're kind of not really sure what it is that you believe, uh, this is the core of the Bible's message. The good news that we believe in this church is a message from God contained in Scripture about how you can belong to Him forever through the death and resurrection of his son and friends that is a message for all of us doesn't matter who you are or what you've done no amount of bad things that you've done can disqualify you from receiving that good news 
no amount of good things that you will ever do can ever make you worthy of it. It is good news offered freely to you. And so, friends, take hold of that today. Now, this is life-changing news. Please don't go away not, not knowing how you stand, whether you have received it. Receive it today. But for the rest of you, if you're someone who's already a follower of the Lord Jesus, my encouragement for you today is to give yourself fully to this gospel. If, if this gospel, as Paul described it, is what Paul says it is, if this is true, it can't be a message that we sort of just discuss on Sunday mornings and then forget about the rest of our week. It's not a nice little add-on to your life. This is news that changes everything. Because it changes who owns you. (laughs) If you've received the gospel, you belong to Jesus. And that doesn't just mean you kind of associate with Jesus. No, no, he is your Lord, your master. You are owned by him and, and you exist for him. And so friends, let me encourage you to think about Is every part of your life given over to Jesus, your Lord? Is he Lord of your time, of your money, of your work, of your family, of your body? Could you call yourself a slave to him with a smile on your face, knowing that that is a precious thing? Friends, this is the gospel, that we can belong to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's all glory be to him. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord God, we we praise you for the gospel, that you, the great God, the king above all kings, the creator of the universe, would choose to author this message, to have a plan from before the beginning of time, to deal with the problem of sin, to reconcile sinful people with yourself. Lord, we thank you that you promised this message through the prophets recorded for us in Scripture. We praise you that you sent your son, the descendant of David, the son of God who rose again from the dead. Lord, we pray that you would help us, each and every one of us, to respond to this call to belong to Jesus. Lord, help us see how big a call that is. Help us see that if we are owned by Jesus, that every part of our life belongs to him. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring us all to the obedience that comes from faith. Lord, may we be slaves of the Lord Jesus, devoted fully to him in all that we do. And Lord, we we ask that not just because it's good for us, but we ask it for the glory of the Lord Jesus so that his name may be known, that more and more people may come to bow their knees before Jesus Christ, the Lord. And we pray it all in his name. Amen.